Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. And we thank you that as we draw near unto you, you are drawing nigh unto us. We thank you, as it is Good Friday today, we thank you for sending your son on our behalf. We thank you that he was born of a woman. We thank you that he lived a perfect life without sin. And we thank you that he took upon himself our sins, our transgressions, and our sicknesses and our diseases. And we thank you that he paid the price we deserve to pay. And we thank you that he is risen, that he is alive, that he is seated at your right hand, and we thank you that he is coming again. And we give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now next year, in 2024, in the Holy Week Bible prayer sessions next year, we'll come back to Paul's epistles. There's so much there that uh, we need to spend several days there. We'll do that next year. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. The NIV says to pray continually. The King James says to pray without ceasing. I mentioned yesterday that during the Wells revival that Evan Roberts was the young man that was the primary part of that, and it was not a revival of preaching. And when people would see him or see him around town, he would seem to be talking to himself, but he was not talking to himself. He was praying in the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. And one way we can do that is by praying in the Spirit in tongues. In Ephesians 6 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, when Paul says, and pray in the Spirit, he's not saying pray in English with extra oomph, or in his day, pray in Greek with extra oomph, or pray in Latin with extra oomph. Praying in the Spirit is a distinct experience. It is a distinct tool of prayer. And all throughout the New Testament, when the word tongues is used, the New Testament is very clear in its language. We're not talking about any natural human language. We're not talking about, again, in Paul's day, Greek, Aramaic, Latin. We're not talking about, in our day, English, French, German, Spanish, any language you want to mention. When Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, he means pray in the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. One of the greatest tools that God has given the church is prayer in the Spirit, which is in tongues. And this is why Satan and why religion is so opposed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so opposed to tongues. When I was a little child, young guy, I remember being with my parents in Tulsa. They were in Tulsa for a camp meeting that Kenneth Hagin Sr. was doing. And I was a little guy, so I went to the children's ministry, to what we would call children's church. Now, in those days, God, Willie George did the children's ministry for Kenneth Hagin. And uh, some of you might know who that is. He would later do a children's TV show, Western-style show called Gospel Bill. But Willie George did the children's ministry. 
with the help of Ken Blunt, who played Nicodemus on Gospel Bill. And I can still remember it like it was yesterday, going to the children's service, and I can remember them asking if we had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I had accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I, I had not yet experienced what they were talking about. And I remember as if it were yesterday, Ken Blunt taking me aside, him praying with me, laying hands on me, and as a child, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It is not strange, it is not weird, it is a divine tool that God has given his church for prayer. And pastor said something, it was all great last night, but one thing he said last night, and we have to all be mindful of, we're, we're the least strange, least weird thing going on in 2023. So I'm not the least bit concerned about what some religious person might think on social media or what this crazy world or culture might think. Tongues is not strange or weird. Prayer in the spirit in tongues is a powerful prayer tool. We have our toolbox. And during these day sessions, the last few years, we've been adding tools to the toolbox. Well, I'm, we're dealing with one today that is very, very important. It is indispensable. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We could say that our, our weapons are spiritual weapons. And it's important to keep that in mind. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, I'm very much mindful. We'll get to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And I'm very mindful of the fact that when we gather together for a public service, we have to be mindful of people that have never been in church before. We have to be mindful of new believers. As we'll get to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, we, we have to conduct ourselves in such a way that someone that has never been in church, they don't, they don't come in and say, man, y'all are crazy. Y'all are out of your minds. But for the sake of the young people and for the sake of new believers, and for the sake of those of you here in person or watching online that come from a denominational background, I'm gonna do what Paul talked about. Well, he prayed that his message and preaching would not be with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of the Spirit's power. So there will be points in our time together today, I, I will demonstrate speaking in tongues. Again, I'm mindful of the guidelines Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, but I want the young people, and I want any new believers, and I want anyone from a denominational background to understand that this is not strange or weird, but it is a divine prayer tool the Lord has given us in our prayer toolbox. And we ought not be ashamed of it. We ought not be afraid of it, but we ought to use it because it is powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. We all, we all good? Everybody, everybody good? All right, just making sure. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The person of the Trinity who is here with us today is the Holy Spirit. And we sent out a postcard for the Holy Week Revival. I thought it was a really nice postcard. The, the young people did a great, great design this year. Sent that out 
And I got a nasty letter at my house. And not from some unsaved worldly person, but from someone who calls themselves a Christian. I guess they don't believe in healing. But then the letter was lecturing me how there's no trinity. Well, I'm so glad that as a child I learned how to read. And if you go to the very beginning in Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. Father, word, spirit. And once the word was made flesh, once the word was born of a woman, it is Father, Son, Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is a person. If your eyes were opened and you saw into the spiritual realm and saw the Holy Spirit standing here, you would be stunned and amazed. And you would say, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit is not a, not a dove or a bird. The Holy Spirit is a person. The dove represents his presence, but the Holy Spirit of God is a person. Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of Father God, and the person of the Godhead who is here with us today is the Holy Spirit. So we better learn how to walk with him. We better learn how to be led by him. We better learn how to say, fill me, baptize me. We better learn how to pray by him and with his help because he is the one who is here and the one who is with us. John 14, 26, Jesus said, but the counselor or comforter, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. Why don't we say that? Say all things. All things. So, so how can we be taught all things if we deny the Holy Spirit? Or if we say, man, we're, we, we don't, we don't, we're not comfortable with all that. We're, we're going to, you know, set that aside. He's the one who teaches us all things and reminds us of everything I have said to you. John 16, 7, I tell you the truth. It is for your good. I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He was sent by Jesus. It's a blessing. It is a benefit available to every believer. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. And that is why I said the Spirit will take from it what is mine and make it known to you. So the person of the Trinity who is here with us today in this world on planet Earth is the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He leads and guides and directs us into all truth and understanding. As Yungi Cho said and wrote so beautifully, the Holy Spirit is our senior partner. So we better learn to walk with him. We better learn to live by him. We better learn not to grieve him. Romans 8, 14, Paul wrote, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul told the churches in Galatia that we're to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We're to live by the Spirit. And you know, everybody wants to talk about grace today. If you read Galatians, honestly, those under grace are those who live by the Spirit of God. And he convicts. He's the spirit of truth. So you can't say that you're under grace if you're not living by the spirit. 
And you can't say that you're under grace if there's no conviction in your life and you're not living by the Spirit, but you're, you're living in the flesh. So we should live by the Spirit. We should pray by the Spirit. And we should pray with the help of the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest gifts and prayer tools that God has given the New Testament church is prayer in the Spirit, which is tongues. And that's, again, why Satan and religion is so opposed to it. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the Spirit. So we're not talking about Greek. We're not talking about Latin or Hebrew or Aramaic. We're not talking about English or French or German or Spanish or Italian. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And again, it is a tool, an important tool, an indispensable tool that Father God has given us for the prayer toolbox. It's not strange. It is not weird. And so we ought to know about it. We ought to ask for it. We ought to use it. We ought to employ it. In Mark 16, verse 17, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, and these signs will accompany those who believe. And then he gives the list, in my name. And one of those signs is they will speak in new tongues. Sunday, Pastor and I dealt with gifts of the Spirit. And two of the gifts are diverse kinds of tongues and also the interpretation of tongues. Those are particular gifts of the Spirit. And remember, as we learned Sunday, as Paul tells us, the Holy Spirit distributes them as he wills. And we learn that the Holy Spirit distributes those nine gifts as he wills. And it's not up to us. It's not up to me. It's not up to pastors. Pastor said, if, if we could turn on the moving of the Holy Spirit and have that switch turned on all the time, we would have that switch turned on all the time. If we could have the gifts of healings turned on all the time, we would turn that on and leave it on all the time. That said, our Heavenly Father has given us a gift that once you have it, it's yours. It belongs to you. And once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can pray in the Spirit anytime you want to. In the morning, in the evening, on your way to work, on your way home. So that's something that you can flip the switch on or turn it off anytime you want. Years ago, ABC News did a 2020 special about speaking in tongues. And ABC News 2020 did this documentary investigation with born-again Christian people, spirit-filled. And in that documentary, they showed Medical science showed that when someone who is born again, who is filled with the Spirit, speaks in tongues. They did CAT scans and put people in MRI machines, and then while they were in the machine, had them pray in the Spirit and in tongues. And they showed in the documentary that when a born-again man or woman prays in the Spirit in tongues, the part of the brain that is normally active when I, right now I'm speaking in English, the part of my brain that's active as I speak in English, the moment someone begins praying in the Spirit or in tongues, that part of the brain is no longer active. And why is that? Because the Apostle Paul was exactly right 2,000 years ago that when you pray in the Spirit in tongues, it's not your mind that prays. It is your 
spirit that prays. And you are linked up to God, praying in divine, ecstatic utterance. And it's not natural. It's not of the mind. It is supernatural. It is divine. And again, for the purpose of demonstration, it's not strange. It's not weird. It is a tool that our Heavenly Father has given us for our prayer toolbox. So this is a gift. This is a benefit. This is a covenant right that belongs to every believer. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that wonderful gift includes with it tongues or praying in the Spirit. Now sometimes denominational people will call it your private prayer language, by which they mean keep it to yourself. You know, definitely go home, go in your closet like Jesus said, and keep it totally and completely to yourself. Which, again, there is some truth to, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians. When you're born again, you're born of and sealed with the Spirit of God. As Paul says, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're saved, you're a part of the family of God, you're a child of God. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate, distinct, and most often subsequent experience to salvation. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional. Jesus said in Luke 24 and verse 49, he said to the disciples, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay or wait in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Some translations say endued with power from on high. Charles Finney wrote many wonderful books, but one of the best is clothed with power from on high. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is an imperative command, meaning it's not optional for the New Testament church. It's not optional for us as believers. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist in his ministry proclaimed that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why fire? Fire represents the presence of God. Moses was 80, 80 years old. He was tending livestock, living in Midian. He, saw, he looked up on the mountain and he saw a bush that did not burn up. That is the presence of Almighty God. And if the presence of Almighty God can set a bush on fire, and it not be consumed, then by the Spirit of God, God can fill your life. And as we learned this week, you can carry His presence everywhere you go. You can carry His glory everywhere you go. And it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is a blessing. So John said that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In an old Salvation Army song, they would sing, Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. We want another Pentecost. Send the fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate, distinct, and most often subsequent experience to being born again. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2, Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The book of Acts was written by Luke. And so Luke tells us that he, he investigated everything about 
the ministry of Jesus, and then everything up until his time together with the Apostle Paul. And so Luke recounts for us what he heard from eyewitnesses. Suddenly a sound, why? The Holy Spirit throughout Scripture represents the, the ruach, the breath, the wind of Almighty God. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Dr. Edwin Hatch wrote an old hymn that went this way. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love the way you love and do what you do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with yours, to do and to endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die, but live with you the perfect life for all eternity. The great hymn writer and brother of John Wesley, Charles Wesley wrote, oh, that in me the sacred fire might now begin to, glow, begin to glow, burn up the dross of base desire and make the mountains flow. That's the rivers of living water that Jesus spoke of in John's gospel, that we would be inhabited by the breath of God and rivers of living water would gush forth. Why in the book of Acts is it living, vibrant Christianity? Because they had the Holy Spirit and they had rivers of living water and they had prayer lives that were not dry. They had his presence. And so Luke tells us, suddenly there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The New King James says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice that all of those in the upper room, about 120, men and women, not just the 12, not just Judas's replacement, every one of them, they were all filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit Notice that they did the speaking. You know, there, there are hindrances people have sometimes to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this is one of them. They're, they're of the mindset that the Holy Spirit is going to make them speak in tongues. They're of the mindset that the Holy Spirit is going to make them pray in tongues, and he will not. He is a gentleman. And so we, we do what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. Heavenly Father, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Heavenly Father, I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. And there'll be something coming from within, your spirit, the real you, bubbling up, words you don't know and recognize, and a strong desire to speak those words and pray those words. But this requires yielding to God. This requires surrender. And it's not of the mind, but it's of the spirit, the real you. So notice that they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they did the speaking, and the Spirit of God enabled them or gave them the utterance. So again, in receiving from the Lord, a misconception and a misunderstanding, sometimes people are in the mindset that the Holy Spirit will make them speak in tongues. He will not, just as he will not make people come to church every Sunday. You have to yield. You have to surrender. A wonderful book in the cafe, and I, we don't need to sell books. It's in there because it truly is wonderful. 
is a book by John Sherrill entitled They Speak With Other Tongues. And it's a fascinating story because during the charismatic renewal in the 70s, Norman Vincent Pill had a magazine called Guideposts Magazine, which was filled with positive, faith-filled stories. But the charismatic renewal was taking place. And so Christians like Norman Vincent Peale were hearing all of these stories about God moving, the Holy Spirit moving, these unusual experiences, miracles, and whatnot. And so he assigned John Sherrill and his wife to investigate the charismatic experience. They were Episcopalians. So they were completely and totally outside their comfort zone. But as they began to travel and meet believers from all kinds of denominations, the charismatic renewal swept America. Even at Notre Dame, Catholic University, professors, students were caught up in that revival speaking in tongues. It swept America and every denomination. So as they investigated, John Sherrill's wife received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But as you read the book, he struggled and believers would pray for him and this church group would pray for him and he struggled, he struggled, he struggled to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But finally he got honest with himself and he was at a charismatic gathering. A group of believers knew this guy's having a hard time. So let's all gather and pray and help this guy out. But he was still having a hard time. And what it was, because of his background being an Episcopalian, he refused to lift his hands and to worship God. See, so he, he was asking the Lord to fill, him, to, to fill him with the Holy Spirit, but in his life, because he was an Episcopalian, he, he was totally uncomfortable with charismatic worship in the 70s and, and praising God and, and worshiping God. But see, when you lift your hands to God, that, that symbolizes surrender. And that symbolizes, Lord, give me everything you got. And so he recounts in the book. He was sitting there, they were praying. He's having a hard time. But the Lord was convicting him. Lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. And the moment he lifted his hands, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, it was after that crazy winter storm in 2021. We lost power for several days and pool equipment was a mess and I had waited for the pool company to come out and to see what needed to be done. And they sent the man in charge of the service department. And, and I was kind of surprised because he didn't want to talk to me about the pool or the pool equipment or the freeze. He wanted to talk to me about God. And you never know which way those conversations are going to go. But he, he basically told me that from his background, he desired more of God. Christian man, but he wanted more of God. And so he told me that one day he was in his pickup truck and he was saying, Lord, I want more of you. Give me everything you've got. And he was on one of those highway overpasses and before he knew it, the presence of God was in that truck. And he was so overwhelmed, he had to pull that car over because he was weeping in tears and had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. But part of this is yielding and surrender, cooperating, there can be other hindrances. Tongues is of the spirit, not of the mind. When we pray in tongues, we pray with our spirit by the spirit on the inside of you, the real you. Paul says, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Tongues is divine ecstatic utterance. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. 
all throughout the New Testament, one word is used for tongues, and that is glossa or glossolalia. Glossa or glossolalia. Tongues is divine ecstatic utterance. It is the tongues of angels. And so Luke tells us, Acts 2 verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, divine ecstatic utterance. Not Greek, not Hebrew, not, Latin, not any of the languages of the day, glossa or glossolalia, divine ecstatic utterance as the Spirit gave me utterance. And again, Jesus said in Luke's gospel, we ask and we receive, we seek and we find, we knock and the door is open. James says, we draw nigh unto God, he draws nigh unto us. And so we say, Heavenly Father, I'm born again, I'm your child, and I ask that you would give this precious gift unto me. I ask that you would baptize me with the Holy Spirit and enable me to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives me utterance. And he'll hear that. He'll answer that. He, he will. On the day of Pentecost, those in the upper room spoke in tongues and the crowd heard them in their native language, their native languages. Luke's language is very specific. Verse five, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven when they heard this sound. So it could be seen, it could be heard. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them. Why don't we say this? They heard them speaking in his own language. Now, I've been to school. I went to school a long time. I've heard every possible argument. It's better just to go with what the Bible says. And you can try and discount it. You can try and explain it away. But the Bible says what the Bible says. They heard them. Each one heard them speaking in his own language. Verse 11, the crowd said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So those in the upper room who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues which is divine ecstatic utterance, but the crowd heard them in their own native or natural languages. And there are plenty of examples of this throughout the history of missions. God will do what needs to be done to get the gospel preached. I'll give you one example from the Azusa Revival, which took place from 1906 to 1908, led by William Seymour. He was the descendant of slaves and then Sharecroppers. He served in the Union Army during the Civil War. Powerfully used of God. And he had gone in Texas to be trained under Charles Fox Parham. And back in those days in Texas, because of the laws, William Seymour sat outside the, school, the little schoolhouse on the steps, but wasn't offended. He just wanted to hear the Word of God. And he carried with him what he received to Los Angeles, California. And William Seymour, a group of believers gathered and prayed, and pretty soon had revival. Well, because of revival, revival is often, it draws attention both from the world, but from Christian people that don't like that or they're very religious. So the Azusa revival was going on, and people were coming in from all over the world, which travel, which much, was much more difficult in those days. And there was a Jewish man who was a Jewish religious scholar and he wanted to disprove and debunk Azusa. So he went to Los Angeles, and he was on a mission to disprove and disbunk and make fun of and mock what was going on. And as he later recounted, he arrived. And when he arrived, they had an upstairs prayer room, a young girl about the age of some of the 
young teenage girls this morning. She had been up in the upstairs prayer room. She was walking down. And when she saw him, the Holy Spirit came upon her. And she gave him a word in tongues. And he later recounted that she spoke to him in perfect Hebrew. Again, he was a Jewish religious scholar, so he understood exactly what she was saying. You know, God will do crazy things to get someone's attention. He heard her speaking to him in perfect Hebrew, and she told him his name. She told him where he was from. She told him why he was there, and then she told him to repent. That is the moving of the Holy Spirit, and with it, conviction. They began to speak in other tongues, and the crowd heard them. They heard them in their native languages. Why? So that in one day, what Jesus said could be fulfilled. The gospel preached to all nations. This is what happened in Acts 10 when God sent Peter to the home of Cornelius, a Gentile, to proclaim the gospel. Acts 10, beginning in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all, all who heard the message. Cornelius, his family, all the Gentiles there. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that is, the Jewish believers who thought they were special. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. How did they know? Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So all, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see the pattern throughout the book of Acts is that when believers receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence is them speaking in tongues. And again, tongues is not strange or weird. Now again, in services, when we gather together, we abide by the rules the Apostle Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But again, for the sake of demonstration, I want you to understand that tongues is a powerful tool in prayer given to us by God for the tearing down of demonic strongholds. And yes, it is spiritual. And yes, it is a spiritual tool. Tongues is divine ecstatic utterance directly with Father God by the Spirit of God without any hindrances. Sadly, as in the book of Acts, some believers today have not even heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And somebody might say, oh, well, Austin, I don't know. What about church history? I have in my hand, you know, this is a pretty small font, but a list of quotations from church history by church fathers, church theologians, confirming the existence of gifts of the Spirit in tongues throughout church history. It's there if you know what to look for. As an example, in the second century, Justin Martyr wrote, the prophetic gifts remain with us, even to this present time. It is possible to see among us women and men who possess gifts of the Spirit. Later down this list, St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church, he wrote in his writing on Psalm 32, he discussed a phenomenon in his day of those who, quote, sing in jubilation, not in their own language, but in a manner, quote, that may not be confined by the limits of syllables. Throughout history, often those persecuted by the church were not those into witchcraft and other things, but those who simply desired more of God 
like the pool service guy that came to our house. He said, Lord, give me all you got. And he got more than what was typical in his experience. And the same is all, it's true all throughout church history. Here's one more recent from the first great awakening. George Whitfield kept diaries of his experiences in the first great awakening, but later those diaries were edited and the more controversial elements pulled out. But a professor at Baylor went and read the original diaries. And he's, he, even though he's a Baptist professor, was a professor at Baylor, he's honest in his biography about George Whitfield. He wrote, in an even more fervent assembly, past Boston Common to hear George Whitfield on September 27th. He estimated them at 15,000 people, many of whom were overcome with emotion. As George Whitfield went back to his rented house, he wrote, quote, and this was in his original diary before the controversial elements were removed. George Whitfield wrote, quote, the power and presence of the Lord accompanied and followed me. As he continued to write about those assembled at his house, many, in his words, quote, wept bitterly and cried out under the word. A group stayed up praying with George Whitfield, and Whitfield recorded this about the presence of God, quote, the spirit of the Lord was upon them all and made intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. It's all throughout church history. And as pastor says, if there's a blessing or benefit available to me, I want it. And I want to have it in my life. In Acts chapter 19, Paul came across believers that had not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, beginning in verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And that is true of many believers today. He asked, what baptism did you receive? They said, John's, which was a baptism of repentance. So, on hearing this, verse 5, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Some make the excuse that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for believers today, that the, the, these things went out when the last apostle died. Nonsense. It's all throughout church history. And I read them all to you. Maybe I'll post this online later. In his sermon on the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, 17, Peter quoted the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And quoting Joel, he says, your sons and daughters, old men, young men, men and women. The crowd was convicted hearing Peter's sermon. They asked what to do. His response, repent and be baptized, every one of you. This is Acts 2, 38. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift, a blessing, a benefit that belongs to every believer today and is for every believer today. And again, the initial evidence is speaking in tongues. When we pray in the Spirit or in tongues, we speak directly to God in a tongue unknown to us. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue... In the King James, it says, an unknown tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Most often when we pray in the spirit or speak in tongues, we speak in heavenly languages. 
but it is also possible to speak in the tongues of men. This is why in 1 Corinthians 14, the King James translation adds the word unknown for clarity. It is unknown to us, but it may be known to others. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, the King James, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. No man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. They are the secret things of God directed by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. When we pray in the spirit or in tongues, we utter mysteries with our spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, he utters mysteries with his spirit. You're, we live in a body, but the real you is the spirit on the inside of you. And so when you pray in the spirit, you're communicating directly with Father God. And your spirit is praying, but your mind is unfruitful. And you utter mysteries with your spirit. When we pray in the spirit or in tongues, our spirit prays. The real you on the inside of you prays. You know, 41 years old, all the education, all the time in church, all the services, I do the best that I can do in English. But when I pray in the spirit, it is me and God communicating with each other and I'm praying by the spirit as the spirit would have me pray. No hindrances, no hangups from school, none of it. It all gets set aside and it is powerful. And that is why Satan and religion is so opposed to it. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. When we pray in the spirit or in tongues, we, we edify ourselves spiritually. We build up our spirit man, the real you. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And that's why, as you see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul gives instructions for public services. We're supposed to pray at home. We're supposed to edify ourselves at home. When we're here in church, that's not Austin's time to show off Austin's spiritual gift. That's Austin's time to see people that don't know Christ come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's Austin's time to see you taught the word of God so you grow strong. Now, that's not time for me to parade this or that spiritual gift. Jude 20, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the spirit. Jude 20 in the King James, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I used the example of charging your phone yesterday. You know, and they design it to where the charging doesn't work as well and then you have to get a new phone. Praise God, we don't need a new Holy Spirit or a new baptism. We just need the one Peter had. We just need the one Paul had. We just need the one John Wesley had and George Whitfield had. And so when we pray in the Spirit and in tongues, we build ourselves up. We edify ourselves. You charge yourself up. And it's better than electricity because you're linked together with Almighty God. When we pray in the Spirit or in tongues, we pray as the Holy Spirit would have us pray. For ourselves and others, we pray the perfect will of God. Verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my, my, my understanding is unfruitful. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 26, Paul wrote, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans, words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the, the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance 
with God's will. Now, as I said, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. In a public church service, if there is a public tongue, Paul tells us that there must be a public interpretation. Manifestations of the Spirit and the gifts are given as the Holy Spirit wills for the common good. And when the gifts are exercised or in manifestation, that should always be done with the motive of love. He writes in 1 Corinthians 12 at the very end, verse 31, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Services in Corinth were out of control. It was a spiritual free-for-all. Services were not being done decently and in order. Paul told them that their church services did more harm than good. Unbelievers were coming in saying, y'all are out of your minds. So he gave them very specific guidelines for public church services. And I learned from my father, from our pastor, that if I'm going to be a doer of the word in Mark 16, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 19, I also have to be a doer of the word of God in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. In fact, Paul tells the church of Corinth that if anyone or any minister ignores Paul's instructions regarding this, that person is to be ignored. In other words, not invited back. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. No one understands him. He utters mysteries with the Spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Why? It takes place in the native language of the people. Tonight, pastor's going to preach in English and praise God for it, because we're all going to understand what he's saying. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Again, in public church services. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, meaning words that can be understood in Greek or in English, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Verse 11, for this reason, again, in a public church service, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray, he interprets what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. And again, when we gather together, our focus ought to be someone that doesn't know what the Bible says about faith. 
or someone that doesn't know what the Bible says about healing, or someone that's not saved or born again. It is not just about us and what we want to have go on. Well, I'm just so disappointed. They didn't sing my favorite song today. You got you to get past all that. It's for the common good. Verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church. Why don't we say that? Say, in the church. I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And somebody might say, oh, I disagree. Well, he's got words for that. Verse 20, brothers, stop thinking like children. You know, right now, the little ones are in early childhood. They're probably having their nap time. Stop thinking like a child. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. So I give the New Testament students the example that say we were at the last worship song and you know, the worship song was ending and, you know, they, they looked at me and said, you know, so it's Austin's time to come do the visitor greeting and, and say someone gave a public tongue. Fine. But if there's no public interpretation, it's then incumbent upon pastor me to say, that wasn't the Lord. Yay, that's so exciting. Let's do that again the next Sunday. We are to follow what the word of God says and not just our favorite parts, but all of it, including guidelines for public services. Someone must interpret. Verse 28, and if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. That's why, you know, when I come up on stage before a message or a visitor greeting, or even when we have a prayer line and we're praying for people, if I'm praying in the spirit, I'll turn my lapel off. Why? I'm a doer of the word of God, and I'm following Paul's instructions that in a public gathering, that unless there's an interpretation, I need to keep it to myself and be quiet. Because again, there could be someone that's never been in church or there could be an Episcopalian in our midst or someone that's not used to that. And it could become a stumbling block to them getting saved. And what matters is their eternal destination. Verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Verse 38, if he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Verse 39, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. The New King James says, in a decently and in order. It should be done, everything should be done decently and in order. So again, Paul is dealing with public church services. So in church, you know, during worship or, you know, various points, when I pray in the spirit, I pray quietly to myself. If there's a public tongue, there must be a public interpretation. Without a public interpretation, God's people will not be edified. And again, Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in church, in a public gathering, I would rather speak five intelligible words. He tells them to pray for the interpretation. And in your own prayer life, you can pray for the interpretation. If you read Oral Roberts' biography, his autobiography, that was one of the greatest secrets to his success. He would pray in the spirit, and then he would ask the Lord for the interpretation in his prayer life. This is how divine ideas come. I wonder how Jacob knew what to do with the sheep and the goats and the animals. 
He didn't have a PhD from A&M. It was a divine idea from the Holy Spirit. So pray in the Spirit and ask the Lord to give you understanding. Paul says, verse 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. It was at the church pastor grew up in in Detroit, Bethesda Missionary Temple, during the charismatic renewal that they had an outbreak of singing in the spirit contemporaneously, not, not orchestrated, not planned, it just happened. See, amazing things happen when we pray. Amazing things happen when we seek after God. Amazing things happen when we don't just seek after God when we're gathered together in church, but when you're at home and on your own, you go into the quiet place and you say to the Lord, I want more of you in my life. Fill me with your spirit. Or like the pool service guy, Lord, give me all you got. He will hear and he will answer. So how did pastor and I pray at home or at 5 a.m. prayer? We do what Paul said. We pray with our spirit. We also pray with our mind. We sing with our spirit. We also sing with our mind. And when the kids were little, they'd ask me what I was doing. Because again, they didn't understand what was being prayed or sung. When you pray in the spirit, you edify and build yourself up spiritually. You can also pray in the spirit to intercede for others. Paul tells us, Romans 8, 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans, words cannot express. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There will be times when the Holy Spirit burdens you to pray. When this happens, stop what you're doing. Find a quiet place and pray in the Spirit and in tongues until you feel the burden lift. Old-time Pentecostals understood the importance and the power of praying and praying through. When we pray in the Spirit, we pray the perfect will of God. When we pray in the Spirit, we pray exactly what the Holy Spirit knows we need to pray. When we pray in the Spirit, we, we communicate directly with God without any interference. When we pray in the Spirit, we pray not only for ourselves, edifying ourselves, but we also pray on the behalf of loved ones and believers all around the world. It is a form of, of intercessory prayer. The Holy Spirit knows what we need to pray and when we need to pray. He knows about situations we do not know about and he is searching the earth looking for people, believers, willing to yield themselves to him, to spend time in prayer, not only for their own behalf, but also for the body of Christ in the world today. But before we can be used of him in this way, we have to be willing. We have to be obedient. We have to be willing to wake up when we wake up early, we don't know why we woke up early. Maybe you were woken up early to pray. I don't know what I'm praying about. I don't know who I'm praying for. Pray in the Spirit of God, in tongues. Ask Him to help you pray. Praying in tongues and in the Spirit is one of the most powerful ways in which we can pray. It's one of the greatest tools in the prayer toolbox Father God has given us. Now you might wonder, Austin, how can I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Acts 2, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as they were praying and waiting on the Lord. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 15, the believers in Samaria received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when Peter and John prayed and laid hands upon them. In Acts 9, 
The Apostle Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when Ananias prayed for him and laid hands upon him. In Acts 19, verse 6, the elders in Ephesus received the Holy Spirit when the Apostle Paul laid hands upon them. In Acts 10, Cornelius and his family, they received the Holy Spirit simply as they heard Peter preach. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We can receive any good thing from God by faith. That's true of salvation. That's true of healing. That's true of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 3, Paul reminded the church of Galatia about that. He asked them, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Verse 5, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're saved by faith. And whether with prayer or the laying on of hands or both, or you individually praying, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. All throughout the book of Acts, when believers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit, and then they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If you're born again, if you're saved, this is a gift. It is a covenant right and benefit that belongs to you. It is a wonderful precious gift. It's yours. It's got your name on it. All you have to do is ask, and then you will receive. And when you ask, as we learn, you must open your mouth and speak by faith. There will be a strong desire urge to say, to pray words you don't know or recognize. You've got to yield to that, surrender to that, let it flow forth. Remember, the Holy Spirit will not make you speak or pray in tongues. Acts 2 verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you have to open your mouth and speak by faith. And yes, part of that is yielding. Part of that is surrendering. The sounds and words you utter will not be any language you recognize. But as you open your mouth and as you speak by faith, the Holy Spirit will give you the utterance. He will enable you. He will empower you and you'll speak in tongues, you'll pray in the Holy Spirit. Let's end with Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, Jesus said, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. So if we ask, we receive. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Then verse 13, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who ask him. If we ask, we will receive. If you would, bow your heads. If you're here and you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just lift your hands and begin to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're word is true. And I thank you that your word says that when we draw nigh unto you, you draw nigh unto us. That when we ask, we receive. That when we seek, we find. That when we knock, the door is opened unto us. And I know that there are those today that this is the first time that they've heard about any of this. And then there are those today that they've heard, but this is a watering, this is a reminder. I know that there are those among us that desire 
more of you in their life. Otherwise, they would not be here. And I thank you that the gift and the baptism of the Holy Spirit belongs to every believer. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for baptizing anyone among us, anyone watching or listening online, who desires to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to have a minute or two of prayer, but if that's for you, and that's for you today, and you, as Pastor says, you're ready, just say, Heavenly Father, I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And when you pray that, he will answer, and there will be a strong desire to begin to let that flow forth. And again, Holy Spirit's not gonna make you speak or pray. You've gotta yield, you've gotta surrender, you've gotta let that flow forth. So let's, let's give a minute or two for that. Hallelujah. We thank, I thank you, Heavenly Father. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for hearing and answering your people. Hallelujah, hallelujah. might say, someone could say, well, I want Pastor Austin to lay hands on me or pray for me. I, I want you to receive by faith. I, I want you to do as Jesus said, to ask and to receive, to seek and to find. My, my prayer for you is that you would know the Holy Spirit the way I have since I was a little boy. So you might have to go home might have to turn Facebook off, Netflix off, turn off all the distractions, spend some time in prayer, get alone with the Lord, lift your hands, say, Lord, fill me. Lord, I want more of you in my life, more of you, more of you. And he'll hear you, he'll answer you. And there is nothing more wonderful. Well, I hope today and I hope our time together this week has been a blessing to you. God bless you as you go.